Good morning. As usual, we're going to start with an opening question. So here's the opening question for you to share with your neighbor. Who do you most frequently compare yourself to? And who have you compared yourself to, to in the last 24 hours? And then talk about, does comparison motivate one to become a better person or not? So pair it with the person next to you, um, two or three, and share that, please, for five, a few minutes. From just the sound of the discussion, there must be a quite lively discussion. <clears throat> and that's what our passage is going to be about this morning. It is on Matthew 18, verse 1 to 5. And I invite you to read that together with me. And I would like to read God's word standing up out loud. Would you please stand? And let's read God's word together. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like the little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes such child in my name welcomes me. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. Please be seated. Verse 1. At that time, the disciples came and asked Jesus, who's the greatest? He has 12 grown men bantering back and forth about who's the greatest. If you think you can get to six men, six guys, um, come together and just talk about things and about who's the greatest. And now you double that amount and have 12 guys come around and say, who's the greatest? It must be quite a scene. And it's not something that's quiet. And I wonder what brought that discussion about. Maybe during this time, Jesus started telling the disciples that he's going to be suffering and he's going to be dying soon. And the, the di- disciples hear about this and they're thinking like, shoot, plan B, what's going to happen if he's not going to be around? Someone's got to take over. And also during one of those times when he talked about Jesus being going to be rejected, um, one of the more outspoken disciples, Peter, kind of rebuked Jesus for it. And he goes, don't, don't say that. And then he got blasted for it. So now for that, the disciples are looking, hey, you know, the kind of the outspoken disciple, the one that's kind of ranked higher among us, he's kind of fell from grace. Maybe we can get up on that rank. So maybe some of those things that's happening has caused them to talk about hey, who's the greatest among us? And at first I thought hey, maybe it was just a friendly discussion. But when I read the same account in Luke, it says an argument arose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. And then Mark 9, it says, for on the way they started arguing with one another about who is the greatest. So it was an argument. It wasn't just a friendly discussion. While we all compare with ourselves with people, and it seems pretty harmless, right? Just a little bit. It's, it's no harm. But there's really two kinds of comparison. One is the healthy kind. The healthy kind is where you want to better yourself, where you think, you know, this person is really inspiring. Sometimes when I see videos about people who are like lost all their limbs, and yet they can do the, you know, the five-mile marathon or whatever, and that inspires me to be better. And I want to work harder and persevere like this person. So when you have a role model that is inspiring and, and inspiring you to be more a better person, that's a good comparison. That's a healthy comparison. 
unhealthy comparison is where you want to be better than other people so that you will not feel insecure. Where you're worrying about what other people are thinking about you. Where you feel frustrated or jealous if you are not the center of attention. And all of that is based on pride. And the best place to practice that unhealthy comparison, I'm sure you know, is social media. And on Facebook, you're constantly seeing incredible dishes. Living in LA, we have all kinds of food that's out there. And people take pictures of main dish and dessert. I love dessert, so I zoom in on the dessert stuff. And then people travel to exotic places. Some of them go to Asia, there's all kinds, and eat exotic things like maybe spiders, and they'll take pictures of it. Um, and then people travel to Europe, um, all kinds of exotic places. And it's hard not to scroll through all of these pictures and wonder, man, I wish, I wish I could be them. I wish I was living that life. And I find myself doing that too after a while, looking at Facebook, and I realize that people like stuff, right? And then the more likes you get, the better. And then sometimes I would say, well, maybe that person has five likes, but I got two hearts, right? Isn't that a little bit better than five likes? So once you find yourself getting into that kind of a comparison, you know you're, being, you're getting wrapped up in unhealthy comparison. And that's not a good thing. And not just on Facebook, it happens in the church as well. We look at each other and we compare ourselves with others. And sure enough, the 12 disciples did the same thing. They were comparing themselves among themselves. And Jesus knew this, and he was not about to let that slip away. He knew that the comparison that they were doing, talking about who's the greatest, is about not about bettering themselves, is about pride, is about rank, is about who's better. And this is all something that he wants to change. And the nice thing is, you know, as a parent, if I find my kids bickering after a while, I would like, stop it, you know. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus just took that gently and used it as a teachable moment. Um, so this is an encouragement that Jesus doesn't slap us or hit us. Oops. And who's the greatest? Jesus basically wanted to share that the person who's the greatest is the person who's humble and the person who is, has open arms. I think I changed it to welcoming instead of open arms. Jesus didn't go into the qualification of what is the greatest, how the disciples can earn brownie point. If you have a theological education, you'll get more points. If you can speak publicly and get a lot of people to pay attention to you, you'll get brownie points. He didn't do that. Instead, he placed a kid in front of them. And back then, children are not viewed as very important. They are not, not like our culture, where it's very child-centered. You know, our culture is we always have something gated for the kids so they can play safely. They basically have a right to a carefree childhood and safe and protected environment. So we have laws against um, child labor. We have uh, child-proof stuff all over the place at Babies R Us. And we have laws where you're driving close to a school zone. You have to go 25, and there's always cops around waiting to catch you. So, but that back then, the culture is children are basically more to be seen and not heard, kind of like typical Asian culture. And children are treated like low-level subjects that answers to the parents' whims and whatever they want, and usually the father. 
So now God, now, now Jesus has put this kid in front of the disciples. And it's just to shock the disciples. Because the disciples not expecting this. It's kind of like the, um, what is it? The, the you know, Academy voting for the Oscar for the best actor. So instead of having them pick from the nominees, someone just runs out and get the janitor from the movie set and put them before the committee. And they're like, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Jesus wanted to disrupt their whole train of thought of who's the greatest, who's better, because it's pride involved. And he wanted them to change that orientation to something else. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you won't even enter the kingdom of God. Until you convert and turn around, you won't even qualify to be in the kingdom, never mind about who is the greatest. And so is he talking about, what is it about childlikeness is is Jesus talking about? Jesus is not, obviously, not talking about kids not liking broccoli and veggies, kids not liking to nap. Nothing like that. That's not what he's talking about. The clue is in the next verse. Therefore, whoever takes that lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And in the other version, it says, whoever humbles himself like the, like the child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. So what does childlike humility look like? After searching through everything, and I've kind of distilled it to this that it looks like a helpless little kid with zero ability and zero resources for self-reliance. This child has no ability to chart his own course, no ability to protect or provide for herself, and completely dependent in any need of care. You hear this a lot with kids. I can't do this. Can you help me? You hear that a lot. And that is a kind of childlike humility that Jesus wants from us. For us here who are Christians and are believers, I'm sure you can recall when you first became a believer, when you first became a Christian. Um, I remember, and I was about 15 at the time. I started going to church when I was 12 as a newly immigrant um, from Hong Kong. And since I couldn't speak English, I was sitting around the house, didn't have any friends. And I saw my two aunts getting dressed on Sundays, kind of nice, and go, to, go somewhere. And I said, where are you guys going? And she goes, are we going to church? And I'm like, can I go? I don't know what that is, but I want to go. And that's how I started going to church on Sundays at 12. By the time I was 15, um, I was involved in, I had friends who were gangs, and uh, Chinatown gangs, so I was part of them. Um, I had a boyfriend who's like two years older than me. But I continued going to church. Um, I would go home on Saturdays um, on early so that I can wake up for church the next day. I would tell all my friends for whatever reason. Um, I just felt like that was something I wanted to do. So one night I was talking on the phone with my boyfriend, and we finished talking, I don't know, about midnight. And I said, okay, I better go to bed because tomorrow's school. So we hung up, and about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, he called me again. And back then, when you call, it's just not your cell phone that rings. This is the entire house. All the phones in the house, the one in the kitchen, the ones in my mom's room, all, all the phone rings. So then I picked up the phone, and it's him, and I'm like, what are you doing? Now you woke up my whole family. I'm going to get it tomorrow. My parents are going to yell at me. 
And then he started sounding a little delusional, and I, didn't, I thought he was probably groggy. I didn't know what he was up to, so I was like, okay, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. So I hung up. And then the next morning, um, a social worker came and told me that he had died from overdose. So this, is, this was t- total shock to me because at 15, you're invincible. Life goes on forever. You have many, many more years to live. And you, you, you know that the possibility are great. Most of you know that the possibility are great. And you can chart your course. You know what you, you kind of know where you, which way you want to go. Um, but at that point, the rug was pulled from under me. I had no idea what was happening. And then all the stuff that I learned from Sunday school the previous few years started flooding back, and things started to make sense. And I realized the real me, and that is, I had zero ability to chart my own course. I had zero ability of resources to have self-reliance. What self-reliance? Life can be taken away from me in a millisecond. So it was during that season that I became a Christian. I became a believer. I was humbled. I was finally humbled to know that I had nothing. And here was Jesus who died on the cross and gave me everything. And I said yes to him. I said, yes, help me, Jesus. I need help. So recall the time, the moment when you came to that same place and said, Lord, I need help. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So who's the greatest? The one who says humbly like a child, I need help, Jesus. Help me, please. And the second one, the second part that Jesus answered is welcoming. This is in verse 5. It says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So instead of bickering about who's the greatest, rather than clawing at each other to, to get to the seat of honor, the disciples said, the, are told, welcome one another. Welcome one another, and you'll be like welcoming me. I still remember Kelsey's much older now, but she, when she was, I got a permission to share about her. Um, this is when she was in preschool, and she was sick for about a whole week, so she stayed home from school. And uh, she usually have a little bit of anxiety, su- Sunday night blues, but added to being away from school for a week, she had major Sunday night blues. So Sunday night, we was tugging her in, trying to get her to go to sleep, and she's like, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. I've been away for a whole week. Everybody would have forgotten me. I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to have no friends. School is going to be terrible. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. So I was trying to tell her that her friends wouldn't forget her, that maybe they would, because at preschool, they're fickle, right? So then I was like, well, 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 even if they forget you, don't worry. You'll make new friends. There's plenty of kids that you'll make new friends. So we try to talk her through, calm her down, pray. Jesus is going to be with her. Jesus will play with her, you know, all that. And then she finally went to sleep. Next morning, she was still grumpy. She goes, I don't want to go to school. You know, school's going to be terrible. So we went through that whole thing again during breakfast, put her in the car. I said, we're going to go to school. And then she goes, I don't want to go to school. It was kicking and screaming, going to school. So I said, come on, let's go. She's got her backpack on, took her hand. I don't want to go. But we walked in. Before we even got to the door, the kids were like, Kelsey, you're back. And five, six of them ran up to her and gave her a big hug. And 
and took her out to the playground to play. This is before I even got to sign her in. Imagine my heart, because I couldn't sleep the night before either, because I was worried about her. I said, you know, kids, you know, this is such a huge thing. Friends, without friends, life is horrible. So then I prayed for her, and I was worried. And just imagine my delight when her friend just, her little friend just came and ministered to her and took her hand and took her to the playground and showed them the the newest roly-poly back there to play with. And it was just great. And can you imagine? It says that, therefore, if you receive me, if you receive one such child in my name, you welcome me. When his children honor one another, God's heart is so delighted. So if you want to delight God's heart, welcome one another, love one another. The way I treat another person, another person is the way I treat Christ, who is living in that person. And I need to remember that we are all lowly nothings to begin with. We all started at the same place. And I really appreciate having been here at Renew. I see that ministry happening a lot. Um, Sometimes Justin doesn't enjoy the worship or something bother him. And then there's been times where he even self-injured, hurt himself, or runs over to the wall and throws his body next to the wall. So it's like he makes a scene, and everyone freezes, and I calm him down, and we're okay. And I've had people come up to me and said, you know, you know, I, when, when that happened to Justin, I don't know what to do. I would like to know how I can support you. I would like to know how I can help. Um, and I, I was trying to explain, give him more space. Don't need to get up there. Just be quiet and, and give him space, and he'll come around. And I've also had people who says, oh, I just love sa- sitting next to near Justin because he has such a great singing voice. And then they start even helping, coming around, sitting near him. Um, to support him because he is older and he doesn't necessarily like to sit next to his parents. So sometimes I would ask him, I said, Justin, do you want me to sit next to you or behind you? And he always go, behind me. <laughs> but this morning, however, I asked him and he says, you can sit here. I had permission today. So imagine, oh, um, and another thing that I, I found uh, it was really neat was I was talking to Tawny and Tony the other day, and I was curious. They do the coffee cart, the whole setup out there. And, and I, I was curious. I said, who brings the donuts in every week? And they looked at me and go, I have no idea. And they set it up, and we have people who care about this community, and week in and week out, bringing donuts in for everybody to enjoy. And they don't need a title. They don't need an assignment. They don't need to be told or asked or begged. They just do it. And that's the kind of thing that you, I want to see here, that God will be delighted to see here. And I take a chance and I go, imagine if this space is so safe that we won't have problems, no one will have to deal with social anxiety here. Can you imagine someone walking in here, not have to worry about finding someone to sit with, not have to worry about standing in the corner by themselves, not have to worry about who they're going to, to go to lunch with or whatever, and, and people, friends, five, six of them will always be around them. That would be so wonderful. And this kind of thing can only happen if we all realize that we are all on the bottom, lowly beggars with nothing, just pointing to another bigger to show them, show them where the food is. That's what my husband like to say. We're just, we're beggars. We, we have nothing. But at least we know where the food is, and we can point other people to that.
So if there is going to be any competition, let us compete to be to to serve more. Let's compete to out welcome one another, out serve one another in love and humility, and to make our heavenly Father proud. Shall we pray? Lord, even as we reflect on how gentle and loving you are uh, with the disciples who botched everything all the time, that you are just loving and gentle with us as well. We thank you for how your spirit has spoken to us. Will you gently open our eyes so that we can see ways that we can love one another. We can uh, overlook um, things that may irritate us so that we can love one another better. I want to lead us in a prayer of humility. And with each phrase that I say, will you respond by saying, Deliver me, Jesus. Deliver me, Jesus. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me from the desire of being esteemed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. Respond louder, I can't hear you. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desires of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of having nothing, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebukes, from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being wrong. We lift all this up before you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.